Welcome back to the Rambling Preacher Podcast. My name is Jesse, and I am your host. Today we are discussing, once again, damning doctrines of demons. Um, and last time it was the overarching idea of syncretism, and uh, how, obviously, there's so many different directions you can take syncretism, but generally speaking, how it has infiltrated itself in various ways to the, uh, the church and into Christianity. And this is a continuation of this. Once again, this is a form of syncretism that I see happening within the church. Um, so I want to once again return to Deuteronomy chapter 18, uh, and I'm going to read 9 through 14 in the English Standard Version. So let's read this. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall learn to follow the abominable, abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or daughters as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a neocromancer or one who inquires of the dead. Now, pause here for a moment and uh, consider the New Covenant context. And I like to read Deuteronomy kind of in the the sphere, um, the application, I should say, of, um, you know, Christians, New Covenant, abominable, abominable practices of those nations. Now, something when we were evangelizing and, and witnessing out to the world, and we discussed this last time we discussed damning doctrines of demons, we discussed how syncretism was coming in and saying, oh, you see these religious practices you have? Well, that's kind of like this, and that's kind of like this. And it was kind of just bringing in and meshing our religion over top of theirs and saying, what you believe is almost right, it's just this. And you see this a lot when the Catholic Church and uh, and Constantine is taking over, and we start um, Christianizing Europe, and the pagans are upset, and you start to see a lot of... Uh, I mean, it's interesting because a lot of the people that syncretize in one area uh, their Christian beliefs with pagan or worldly or fallen systems, New Age systems, a lot of times they're the same ones that are um, throwing their arms up about Christmas and, and trees because of paganism, right? So it's like we have to be careful what we allow, what we don't allow. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I think there's always a conversation to be had with everything. I mean, is there a conversation to be had about uh, trees and Christmas. Sure, we, we can have a conversation. However, um, I think most of you guys know where I stand on that. And if you haven't listened to um, Crisis the Cure, Nick's podcast on that, I recommend that. Uh, here I am always recommending his stuff, but it's because I believe he does good work. His last podcast actually, ironically, was on syncretism and, and uh, prophecy and new revelation. Very good podcast to listen to. I recommend that as well. Um, but you have these abominable practices of those nations, the pagan nations, the fallen nations, the false religions, right? We as Christians do not merge our beliefs with other beliefs. Um, that's why New Age is so um, 
I believe, terrible for a Christian because we're essentially saying, well, all ways are the right way and all spirituality is good spirituality. And that's not true. I mean, we see that throughout scripture. There are spiritual things laced throughout our world and not all of it's good. In fact, a lot of it's dark and evil. Um, and so we talk about who practices divination, tells fortunes, interprets omens. Um, those are things maybe we'll get into today. Um, I might save, we'll see, depending on time. Sorcerer, charmer, medium, neocromancer, one who inquires of the dead. Verse 12, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. Now, you don't want to be an abomination to the Lord, right? So the question is, do we do these things today, even still? Yes, no, maybe so, right? Continuing, and because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. Verse 13, you shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations, which you were about to dispossess, uh, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners, but as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. We are not allowed to. We should be blameless before him. We do not pick up what the fallen world is putting out. Um, and so specifically honing in first and foremost on divination, right? Now, we can easily talk about burn sons or daughters as an offering. Um, you know, and I would argue abortion is a... Uh, uh, along the same lines of that today, I believe. Uh, but for sake of time and for sake of what we're trying to accomplish, I think most Christians would agree, oh yeah, don't kill your children, right? So we jump into practicing divination. Um, so what is divination? And I've, I've looked at several different definitions and several different sources for divination. I've looked at some historical context. I've looked at um, places it's found in scripture. But I kind of want to give you, this is, this is the... Uh, the definition I found most interesting, um, and this is actually on a pagan site. I looked at several pagan sites. It was my, my browsing history is uh, not what I'd like it to be, but for a good cause. Um, but by pagan standard, here is their working definition of divination. They say, divination is an art or a practice that has been around for hundreds of years, um, obviously longer, through the use of various methods and tools. Practitioners seek to gain insight into things such as future events, relationships, day-to-day -day living, and even career-related issues, right? So it's an art, a practice, it's been around for a long time, and we seek to gain insight into things such as future events, relationships, day-to-day -day life. Now, if you've been in charismatic prophetic circles for long enough, you know that there is actually a form of, now maybe you're shocked by this, but there are forms of divination within prophetic circles right now, and that is what I want to hone in on. Um, how are we gaining our insight into quote-unquote future events? How are we gaining our insight into people and their life and their day-to-day -day living and their career choices, right? You hear a lot of fortune cookie prophets that will say, God has a new job coming your way, right? How are we doing those things? Are we just conjuring them up from within ourselves? Is it prayer? Is it an impression? Is it a burden? Or is it a form of divination, a practice, an art, right? And I want to look a little closer at this and, and bear with me as we kind of work through some of these definitions. But the Merriam-Webster defines divination as one, the art or practice of seeking to foresell, foretell or foresee future events. Uh, full pause, right? Merriam-Webster defines divination, art or practice, once again, same language, art or practice, seeking to foresee or foretell future events. Tell me that doesn't sound like what a lot of prophets are doing today. The art of, the practice of, and they're seeking, 
right? What are we seeking, right? That is the question when I, if I were to sit in a room with a bunch of prophets, what are we seeking, right? Are we seeking to foretell? Are we seeking to foresee? Or are we seeking God, right? Are we seeking the glory of God? Are we seeking to bring honor to his name? Are we seeking the betterment of the kingdom on earth? Are we seeking Christ's name to be proclaimed? Or are we seeking to foresee and foretell? And what purpose, you know, if you if you accurately foresee and accurately foretell the future, whose glory is that unto? Um, now you may argue, well, if I say it in God's name, yeah, but there's there's a big element of pride with a lot of prophetic circles when they get things right. Um, that's because they get 25 things wrong. No one talks about those, but the one thing they'll get right, they'll talk about that till they're blue in the face, right? So the Merriam-Webster. Um, defines it as the art of practice of seeking to foresee, foretell future events, or discover hidden knowledge. Now you're getting into Gnosticism. You're getting into secret knowledge, hidden knowledge, um, knowledge that's behind a veil, knowledge that's behind something. You have to look in closer to divine this out. Um, usually by, now this is once again continuing off divination, usually by the interpretation of omens, right, which we actually have in Deuteronomy 18 as something we should not do is interpret omens. Um, but it actually says divination oftentimes force, uh, foretells and foresees the future by interpreting omens or by the aid of supernatural powers, right? Anyone who is in this field um, of divination or pagan witchcraft, they will tell you they believe in supernatural beings, supernatural powers, um, angels, lights, um, perhaps even demons, right? And so we know that they know and we know that there are supernatural powers. The question is, how are we getting our supernatural powers? What is the uh, purpose? What is the source? Who is getting the glory? Right? These are all questions that are incredibly relevant when we're talking about um, prophecy versus divination, prophecy versus interpreting omens, prophecy versus, right? And to accurately foretell a future event means nothing to me. Right? I have told people this time and time again. New Testament study has brought me to the conclusion that false prophets can prophesy accurately. So quoting Deuteronomy 18 as the justification for what a true prophet is like, oh, they will never, none of their grounds will hit the ground. They're, everything they say will come to pass. That's not truly the test of a true prophet. The test of a true prophet is much more so about their character, their source, their their purpose, right? It's it's not as much about their accuracy as maybe people would like to think. And we can talk more about that on another podcast. Um, but it really does mean nothing to me, right? They'll quote 21 and 22. How will we know if it does not come to pass, right? But the problem is false prophets can be right because they're getting their there's foreseeing, foretelling, um, oftentimes by omens, by spiritual powers, supernatural powers. And I would argue that they're evil, right? So how many ways are there to foresee or foretell future events um, by interpreting omens or the aid of supernatural powers, right? This is one reason I'm very nervous and very cautious with people who are, say they're closely interlocked with the angelic, right? You have people um, that will say they're close. Now, I'm not saying all of them are wrong. I'm not saying that it's wrong. I think there are people that are um, that just have a, a more keen awareness to the supernatural, to the spiritual realm than others. Um, but typically, what I found is people that talk about angels all the time, and angels do this, and angels do that, and angels come here. Think Cat Kerr, right? People that are like this, typically, Todd Bentley is another good example. Um, people that are like this typically are off 
um, and I would argue unsaved in false prophets, right? Um, but when you're interlocked with the angelic, this is omen type of behavior because one of the interpreting omens is through the aid of supernatural powers. So if you are able to foresee, foretell future events um, through the and, and you can look at scriptures and you can make a justification. Well, angels did this. Angels were messengers of God. Angels brought messages about things to come. How are we to know, right? Once again, we have to be very careful with how we line this out and how we just have to be careful. That's really my goal here is to highlight, not necessarily that this is wrong 100% of the time, but rather that this is also is not 100% always good, that there are evil things. And, and bad things, for lack of better words, that are also at play in this. So omens are essentially signs of things to come. So interpreting omens is an interpret to interpret natural um, things, spiritual things, in a new way as to predict the future, um, right? Oh, this hurricane, uh, I'm going to interpret this as an omen, a bad omen that God is judging Florida. I actually would consider that a form of interpreting an omen, and I would be very careful with doing something like that, right? Um, now, if it's a biblical truth, Right. Um, I, I'm trying to think of an example that you could do that with, but um, I actually think now I, I really am under the impression that it, trying to interpret um, earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes and severe weather and blood moons even, right, we <laughs> get into that field. Um, I think all of these things we should be very leery of doing because it's very similar to what the pagans do with interpreting omens. Um, and they do have their interlocked relationships with supernatural powers. Right? I actually truly believe true prophets do not use omens to prophesy. They don't look to the signs um, of hurricanes or blood moons. Um, I think they know things via impressions, right? To be a little continuationist with you guys, by dreams, um, perhaps visions. I do believe God, and this is Tom Schreiner, right? I'm going to use Tom Schreiner as my example. Tom Schreiner believes that even as a cessationist, that people can still receive dreams, visions, and impressions and burdens um, from the Spirit in their Christian life, right? And so I believe, and I've known people. And I myself have had dreams that I'm like, I feel like that was a spirit-given dream. Um, do I properly interpret it? I don't know. Do I properly apply it? I don't know. But the best you can do is pray, um, seek counsel from people you trust, right? But oftentimes I've had dreams about people. Um, this is one I remember very specifically, just to share a brief tidbit of myself, very specifically where I um, had a dream and I was just worshiping. And then they came up to me and said, hey, are you ready to preach after this song? And I was like, what? I'm preaching. But I, I thought that. I didn't say that. And I was like, yeah, by the power of the Spirit. And then I began praying rather than worshiping, Lord, what do you want me to say to these people? Lord, what do you want me to say to these people? I have nothing. I, and it was kind of like I realized, like, I have nothing prepared. But why don't I have anything to prepare? Like, and I, it almost was like I realized it was in a dream, but I didn't. Um, I just realized, I was like, this is weird. Why am I here? Why am I about to preach? Why do I not remember what I did before this? Why did I not prepare? And then next thing I know, I'm up on the platform and, uh, and I was wearing baggy clothes. Like all of a sudden I was wearing like a suit um, and they were way too big for me. They were like drowning me out. And I was like worried my pants were going to fall off. And I walk up and there's like this spotlight on this lectern. And I walk up and I look out and I see people um, in the congregation. So a lot of faces I didn't know. Some faces I did know. And, uh, and right then I woke up after I saw some faces. And immediately upon waking up, I, I, I just, Revelation 2 popped into my head. Um, 
And so I opened my Bible on my uh, nightstand, and I immediately flipped to Revelation 2, and I'm reading, right? And not to get into the nitty-gritty of the interpretation of this and the application of this, but um, I talked to some people I trust, and um, the word was to the dead church, the church that seemed busy but was not. And uh, and that's what I believed the Lord was communicating to some of those people that I saw in my dream. And um, also that I was not going to be completely prepared for the season approaching where I may be, um, and the clothes... I was going to be put on, maybe, and this was the interpretation from someone I trust, was perhaps this ministry as I step into it, um, I'm going to have to grow into it, right? And if you were to apply that to perhaps the situation of me uh, coming into ministry and pastoral ministry and, you know, do I think I'm stepping into a ministry that I need to grow into and that I need to grow as a a person? Absolutely. Spiritually, um, absolutely. Mentally, emotionally, sure. Um, Physically, hopefully not much more, but... Uh, um, you know, so you could apply that in, in so many different ways. And is it good? Is it what's the purpose? What's what, what's the source? Right? These are all questions you have to wrestle with when you do things like this. And uh, so, anyway, I believe that a true prophet is typically going to get things when in intercession, in deep prayer for people. They may have an impression. They may have a burden. They may have a dream. They may have a vision. Right? But I don't think true prophets need to look around and and, and I know Michael Heiser. Right? I am familiar. I, I listen to probably. Not, not a ton, um, and I've listened to Michael Heiser in the past, but I've list, I listened to probably about an hour, hour and a half lecture um, specifically on uh, biblical numerology and astrotheology, and those are things that I'm not willing to get into right yet. Um, but I, I know, right, we can talk about numbers having meaning in the Word of God. That's one thing. Um, but... And he talks about the astrotheology and studying the stars and giving witness to Christ. And I'm like, that's exactly it, though, too, though, in my opinion, right? Is uh, And John Piper captured it really well when he said, like, you know, why? Why is the universe so vast? Why is the world so little? Why is our earth so small? Why are we so tiny? Why are the stars so far out there? Why are there multiple galaxies? Um, and it's because it's not about us. It's about how big he is, right? And I love that and that beauty. And I think that's truly what, you know, the stars, that's the message they're conveying. I don't think they're conveying future events. I don't think they're prophesying or foretelling things to come, even though some people really do believe that, right? I believe they're just telling of how big, how grand, how awesome our God is, right? And so, the one form, and we're at the 18-minute mark. I hope to be done in about 15 minutes. Um, so we'll see how far we get into this conversation, but I actually plan on ending it in about 15 minutes no matter what. So, Brandon, if you're listening, 15 minutes. Let's see where I get to. Um, okay, numerology. That's what I want to look at first. So meta-religion says this. The system of numerology is a method of divination. Boom. Cut and dry, right? Numerology is a method of divination. It's a, a it's a way to foresee, predict, foretell future events. It is a form of interpreting an omen, which is also employed by the use of magic. The practice is based upon the statement of the Greek philosopher Pythagoras, right? And Pythagoras is often attributed to numerology, but really it's his radical followers that probably built it. But he said this, the world is built upon the power of numbers, right? So the world is thus built upon mathematical patterns. All things can be expressed in numbers which correspond to universal vibrations. Names, words, birth dates, birth places. Able to be reduced to numbers in order to determine personalities, destinies, futures, and fortunes of individuals. And you can do this. Every language, pretty much, not all, but pretty much every language can be based down to a numerical value. Um, Hebrew, you can do this. Greek, you can do this. 
uh, English, you can do this, right? Um, so in today's context, numerology is considered occultic. It involves the attempts to discover secret meanings of occurrences and to forecast the future. It is divination. It is fortune telling, oftentimes combined with astrology, cartomancy, geomancy, and also dream interpretation. I, give, I considered giving an example. In fact, I will just give this example because I think it's a little funny. Um, rambling preacher. I'm going to build this into a number. Well, there's so many ways you can build this into a number. You can do R is the X. I don't know what number it is in the alphabet, but I, rather just keep it simple. There's eight letters in rambling. There's eight letters in preachers, right? So there's I'm the number eight. And in fact, I might even be the number 88, right? And you can create whatever you want. I, I want to get down to this. When you do this and you're getting into letters and numbers and I was born here and these numbers and these are this is my birth time and this is my birthday and this is the day of the year. Um, and then you add in different calendars, right? You could look at the Hebraic calendar and the numbers and then the, you see where I'm going, right? I love how like in 2020, every prophet out there loved to use. And I I get it, right? Because I, I was like, 2020 vision. That makes sense. That's that's good. It's a good year to have perfect vision. F eyes fixed, right? But every prophet out there was using 2020. But then, oh, 2022? Well, that's not quite as fun. So let's use the Hebrew calendar again. Or they'll say, 2022? Um, Isaiah 2022. What does that say? Uh, I don't really like that. What about Isaiah 2, verse 022, right? Like, the search is endless and it's exhausting and you can do whatever you want with numbers because they're everywhere. They're literally everywhere. Even people who are pseudoscientists who are not religious whatsoever, they debunk numerology left and right and say you can do whatever you want with it because there's numbers everywhere, right? It's just the way it is. And I don't think Pythagoras was trying to say that numbers have supernatural power or power to um, foretell or for predict necessarily, um, but his followers definitely took it that to that extent. All right. Um, but rambling preacher, 8-8, eight, eight, right? If we can return to this. Rambling is eight letters, preacher has eight, so I'm eight or 88. Well, eight means success. Okay, successful. 88 is actually a master number because you are someone who is enlightened. Um, you are a spiritually enlightened individual. Um, and ironically, 888 in numerology is represented by a higher mind, in fact, often attributed to Christ. So you could boil this down to, I will have success because I'm a spiritually enlightened individual on the path of Christ. Now, look at that. Look at how that unfolded, <laughs> right? You can use numbers to tell people whatever you want. Numerology, in my humble opinion, is such a waste of mental capacity. Um, but it's a divination nonsense, and I firmly reject it. I firmly reject the 888-888 of Rambling Preacher. Completely and utterly reject it. Um, I am just a man who is a pastor called by the Lord to also podcast from time to time. All right? But we take the Word of God. Can you find patterns or codes in the Bible? Sure, you can, absolutely, because it's a huge book. You could find codes and patterns in anything. Are numbers always to be taken literally? No, not necessarily. I believe a lot of numbers in Scripture are symbolic, right? We, we can look at this over and over. Does net 12 seem to have a reoccurring theme? Does, um, does 3, does 1, does 7, does... 24, yes, 666, right, is another one that's very clearly a form of gematria. Um, however, 
You know, the people of that time absolutely would have interpreted it to be Nero. Now, here we are 2,000 years later, and we're looking for people putting 666, and we're like, oh, the monster energy drink, 666, right? Like, I think that's ridiculous, um, right? But the thing is, God never, not once, and Paul never, not once, through the unction of the Spirit, and the Spirit never breathed out into the Word, right, instruction for us to look for systems of numbers. That never happened. He never told us how to interpret these numbers, right? So we're just essentially saying, well, we see this number 12 again, oh, again, oh, again, right? And that's okay, realizing that there's, I don't want to even use the word pattern, but there's a consistency, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 disciples, right? We can notice these things. Why 12? And, and some people would argue that tw numbers are divine. 12 is divine. Uh, three is divine. One is divine. And they like to make these arguments. And I, I think offering divinity to numbers is blasphemy, um, but I think it's preposterous as well. Um, so the Bible is authoritative, right? And if we're never told to do this, we're never told to look up and study out systems of numbers and interpret them in Scripture. Um, Paul never tells us to do this. Um, and we're never told what they signify. We, we, right now, the numbers we have, we just said, well, this typically means this, and so this is kind of the idea of what we attribute this number to, right? The three, Trinity, 12 disciples, right? We have numbers that come up, 666, oh, evil, Nero, right? Seven is completion, seven days in a week, right? We, we do all of these things, um, but really the Word of God never instructs us to do this, um, so we have to be careful how far we take it. I know people that have said Paul was a Jew. He wrote in Hebraic cadence. He did not write the New Testament in Greek, and that's your Greek mindset. In fact, you need to be in a Hebraic biblical mindset, and the Hebraic biblical mindset is cadence and numbers and numerology and breaking these things back down to numbers and gematria and see how that becomes too far real quick, really quickly. You're, you're trickling down a very dangerous, um, mystic, supernaturally inclined, um, new age, divination nonsense, right? And so we have to be very careful. Um, but if the Bible is authoritative, let me pose this question to you in the last, you know, five minutes that we have together. Uh, if it's authoritative, how is it to be authoritative if we must first decipher it, right? Would not God, being good, being kind, give us the plain reading of the text for interpretation? Would he not give it to us so more can come to salvation, right? And people may argue it can be deeper than that, but I think at that point you're really just a conspiracy theorist, right? That, that's where I, that's how I feel about gematria a little bit, is you're just conspiracy theorists that are um, no longer highlighting the gospel and rather highlighting how you can divine up um, insight and foresee the future. Um, it's no longer about Christ and what he's done for people. Um, in fact, oftentimes people say if you're not in this area, right, um, then you're not as spiritual, you're not as useful. And what's crazy about that is the most beautiful hands and feet are the ones who prepare and give the gospel. The, the, the most spiritually um, superior people are the ones who spread the gospel, uh, not just in deed, but in word, right? Those are your spiritually mature, spiritually superior people. Now, once again, I don't really like scales, so that's just if we're going to go down that road. It's not people who um, are playing gematria with the Bible, but rather people who are spreading the good news of the gospel. That's who I'm looking to, right? So, but we all have our roles and our calls, but gematria is not one of them, never listed in the scriptures as something to do or something that is meant for us, right? Um, 
So ask yourself this, would God give you the plain reading of the text or does he want you to get lost in it? All right? Essentially, you're turning from a student of God's word into a conspiracy theorist because a sacred word is not meant to be used for divination. Um, and this is from BeliefNet, and I really liked this. Many Christians that use numerology do so because they think that it proves that the word of God is divine. But you do not need numerology to prove that God's word is perfect. Fulfilled prophecy, historical accuracy, and the longevity would all be more helpful than numerology. But even these are unnecessary. The biggest evidence that God's word is breathed out by God is the fact that God's word breathes life into those who hear it. Right? Faith comes from hearing the word of God. Um, when people try to convince you that numerology is of importance, remember that you should lean on God instead. There is no need to try and use numbers to predict your future or to code some secret meanings in the Bible. God is already planning you great things for your life. He has nothing to hide. And I love that ending. He has nothing to hide. Jonas and John Brace could perform sign, right? If supernatural things occurred. Um, right? So the last thing, and, and we're at that point now where I just... You know, I've got more notes, and I've got more I can get into, and we can do a Damning Doctrines of Demon Part 3. Gamatria is kind of what I'm hoping to do next, but it's, it's a mess of weeds in that Gamatria space. It is a mess, and so I would warn everyone to be very careful. Michael Heiser is the safest on the numbers and theoastrology and the Gamatria scale. He's the absolute safest. Do not go deeper. Do not go into Bethel's New Age book that they put out there. Do not go into quantum physics. Do not go into that. That's dangerous and demonic, right? But the last thing I want to emphasize here is that I believe angel numbers are a form of numerology, um, interpreting numbers that you see all the time as some type of omen that means this is coming and this is going to come and this is going to happen. That is absolutely numerology. I think angel numbers are um, actually demonic. I don't think they're angel numbers. I think they're fallen angel numbers, right? We're trying to read the universe. We're trying to hear from supernatural powers. Um, we're syncretizing pagan demonic witchcraft. Um, and it's because we have an unhealthy hankering lust um, for supernatural things, right? We have corrupted our mind, if that's what we're looking at, numbers all the time. Oh, 444. Oh, 777. Oh, 222, right? This this is a corruption of your mind. Um, and I actually believe it's a dark supernatural work. And do I think people can be Christian and still do this? Sure. But there's tons of non-Christians who believe the same thing. Um, it's garbage. It's never instructed in Scripture. Um, and if you are somebody who is of the... Um, you know, the belief that we should follow scripture and be sola scriptura, then I would be very careful with angel numbers. I think um, some people are like, oh, they're just in ignorance. It's innocent. You know, but this ignorance, this innocence can quickly take you down a damning path, right? We have to be so careful with things that are syncretizing pagan demonic beliefs, right? Right. And so um, I wanted to read Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5, um, but I think we'll save that, right? But the, thing, the people that are doing these things, um, God wants all of our heart, right? And it, it says that in Deuteronomy 13, right? It says, in fact, I'll just read it. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, right? We should walk after him and fear him and keep his commandments and obey, obey his voice, right? Serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer that dreams those dreams shall be put to death 
because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God. God has given you a clear-cut path to following him, pursuing him, loving him, living in him in the scriptures. Stop twisting them. Stop allowing people to twist them for you. Stop pursuing numbers. This is this is a test against to see, do you love God? Will you live for God? Will you fear him? Will you keep his commandments? Will you obey his voice, right? So think on these things, um, and that's where I'm going to end. We, we can keep going, but I'm going to end there at 30 minutes. And uh, until the next time, please do think on it. Reach out on Instagram. Leave a review. Leave a rating if you can. I appreciate you all. We'll see you next time. He was nailed upon the cross, resurrected from the grave. And all we have is Christ, that Christ crucified. And all we